Welcome to this week's episode of Tell Me More with Dr. Dennis Wiles, and I'm Katie Hodges. This week, we talk about 1 Corinthians 14. We talk about the role of corporate worship, and in the end, we start talking about what Paul thinks about women and a little bit about what Jesus thinks about women. Uh, It's enjoyable. We're glad you're listening, and we'll see you in a bit. Okay, welcome back to this podcast. I'm here with Dr. Dennis Wiles. Like we've made it through a good weekend at First Baptist. Yeah. Lots of good. We had a night of worship last night and mm-hmm. a good Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We dedicated 20 babies yesterday. That's exactly right. What a sweet day. It is sweet. Sweet day, my goodness. All and those young families. Yes, and then just promising the mm-hmm. best they can do to raise them in a Christian home mm-hmm. and help them to know the Lord when mm-hmm. it's time. Sweet. Did you see the one, kind of the next to the last one, little Gideon, Gideon mm. Lee Wiles? Oh, I guess I missed that. Yeah, you might, might have to check. Go back and oh, yeah. look at I, that I one. I think you drew pretty good attention to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then my little nephew, little so, Maverick. I know. So, so was, we ended it with some Wiles. We did. Yes. Pretty awesome. You, yeah, sweet, sweet. So, it was. It was great. And you had a lot of family in town to celebrate that. We did. Yeah, my brother was here and his wife, uh, my sister-in-law, and uh, he's a pastor in South Carolina, and they rarely ever get to be here. And... Uh, I, uh, in fact, I, I teased him at the end of the service when it was all over because I meant to introduce him to the church, of course, and I just got yeah. caught up in the moment and forgot about it. Well, you can, <laughs> so. you can. I mean, I'm sure the whole church listens to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, so if you Emerson Wiles is still in Texas, so he leaves tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, yep. he and Mary, we had a great time. But it's their nephew. I mean, their son. Auburn and his wife Annalise, that's my nephew and niece. Well, they, they live in Rockwell uh-huh. now, and so they came to be with him and had a birthday party for their little son who's mm-hmm. a year old, and then they were here to dedicate him. And Auburn used to live with us, so he's been that. in our church before, so a lot of our folks remember Auburn and, and Annalise as well. Oh, that's sweet. So, and it was a good time with your family. Absolutely, sweet time. Well, little Adler, our, our other granddaughter, um, was her second birthday, so we had a birthday party for Maverick, his one-year party on Saturday, and Adler's two-year birthday party on Sunday. So yeah, we just been, you packed it we in. have just been celebrating all around. It's well, been great. Good. That's good. Lots to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's celebrate today. We're walking through first Corinthians. Correct. An, 14. In, an interesting chapter, <laughs> I would is. say. And if you haven't read 14 all the way through, mm-hmm. I mean, you read some of it yesterday, mm-hmm. but it is pretty much Verse for verse, mm-hmm. how, I mean, how many verses are in this? Mm-hmm. It's a long 30, chapter, yeah. It's a long chapter. We have 39, mm-hmm. no, 40 verses. Mm-hmm. And almost every one of them talks about instructions for speaking in tongues. I mean, if <laughs> right. you're going to speak in tongues, <laughs> right. here's, how you, here's the correct way to do it. Yeah, a little shout out to our Assembly of God, brothers and sisters. I, you know, I thought you about know. that when I was reading, but it was, but snuck in, I think where mm-hmm. you kind of took it, is some lines that just say everything must be done to to build up the church correct. or edify the church. Mm-hmm. It even ends on the line, mm-hmm. everything should be done in a fitting and orderly mm-hmm. way. Right. So, yes, this is great, mm-hmm. but yeah. let's put some order around it so right. that it edifies everyone and mm-hmm. builds up the church. So. Yeah, because if you think about it, there is a um, a, a spiritual gift, I think we could say that, of, of speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. sometimes praying in tongues that's done in private. Yep. You know, I have colleagues of mine that, that tell me they're – uh, sometimes they are just really overwhelmed by the presence of the Spirit mm-hmm. of God, and they pray in tongues. Well, Paul offers very little instruction about that, and I think the reason being is you're at home, and it's just between you and the yep. Lord. So why would he have to add any order to that? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just this ecstatic utterance that um, obviously gives some kind of release, if you will, but offers an opportunity to commune, commune with God in, mm-hmm. a, in a very special way. Mm-hmm. Some people have that gift. Paul's concern was, though— when you gather for corporate worship, which, as we've said, they gathered in these you know, probably patrons' homes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned it's not like our sanctuary. Right. You know, they couldn't meet all together at yeah. one time. So they're meeting across the city. As best we can tell, first century Corinth, most people lived in what you and I would probably call apartments, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. So they didn't sure. spend a whole lot of time at home. You know, they're working and out in the market. And then they also – they did a lot of communal living, mm-hmm. you know, meals and those kinds of things was not uncommon. Um, but you had – we do have evidence of, of what you might consider larger homes with, with – uh, I don't know what we would call them, maybe banquet rooms perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so we think that that's where the church would meet in those types of settings. So you had them, you know, scattered across the city, probably had an overseer of all of them. That mm. wouldn't have been uncommon. Mm. Uh, we believe that's certainly true about Ephesus, probably true about Corinth. So the people were gathering in these corporate worship settings across the city to um, fellowship together, to hear a word from God together, a word of prophecy mm-hmm. An interpretation of Scripture from the Old Testament, helping to understand what we would call the Old Testament, understand the teachings about the Messiah, Mm -hmm. because the story of the Messiah, the story of the gospel is rooted in that Old Testament prophecy. Mm -hmm. And so even for Gentiles, that was something to be learned, that this wasn't some new religious fad. Mm -hmm. This is actually connected historically to the work of God that dates back to creation, lived out through the life of Israel and now fulfilled in Christ. So it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to even be teaching Gentiles, you know, those, uh, the heritage they had as Jews. Mm. Um, but the the point being, when they gathered for these worship services, as we would call them today, um, you know, there was prayer, Bible study, fellowship, sharing the Lord's Supper, those kinds of things. But there were also the expressions of gifts, so healing, um, speaking in tongues, mm. sharing a word of prophecy, proclamation, preaching, teaching. And evidently, the more prominent gifts seemed to um, at least be practiced by some in a way that was not building up the church, that was more edifying the individual. You'd have to think that. If you're reading chapter Mm -hmm. 14, Mm -hmm. you have to imagine there's Mm -hmm. a subtext behind it that is chaos. That's right. I mean, if you have 40 verses talking Mm -hmm. about how you do it right, right. you have to assume Mm -hmm. there is a mess of how they're doing it wrong, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it shows you how important corporate worship was to Paul. Mm-hmm. that this was a visible expression of the body of Christ in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And so these people were, um, I think one of the things we can learn from them is they seemed to be naturally evangelistic. Mm-hmm. So they were inviting people to come to these services. And so Paul's concern was when they come out of a Corinthian society and they walk into this They're probably very curious spiritually, religiously. I mean, obviously, they were open to all kinds of (laughs) religious expressions in Corinth. So they're coming to see this new one, this this Christian thing. What is it? So Paul was concerned about how it was presented. And if it was was viewed as something that was going to be so radical that it just overthrew every cultural condition or, or social construct, um, well, then that that was going to be a real challenge, mm-hmm. and Paul knew that. Yeah. And if there was also going to be, you know, every spiritual gift is under the control of the Holy Spirit as well as the person mm-hmm. who has the gift. Yeah, you've mentioned that. So you have a responsibility to be a steward mm-hmm. of the gift that you've been given. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Paul's calling for is a stewardship of these gifts. Mm-hmm. And do do that in a way that's consistent with what's overall best for the church, mm-hmm. not what calls attention to yourself. Something that might be a little foreign to us, but in that first century, the the expressions of hyper sensu- uh, spirituality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that was very attractive to to Greek and Roman society, mm-hmm. and it was it was viewed with uh, a little bit of a of a superstitious kind of 
uh, feel. You know, you have we have stories in the scripture, you know, of where someone will have the the um, gift of divination, if you will, even mm. though it's demonic, mm. or uh, you know, maybe the uh, sorcery or healing. Well, people were just drawn to that kind mm. of thing, and so imagine if it's being done now in the name of Christ with true spiritual power, but it's being abused somewhat. The question is, how long was the Lord going to let that go on? So Paul is saying, okay, it feels very chaotic to me. Mm -hmm. The reports I've gotten, the questions you're asking me, let me know that you seem to be calling attention to yourselves Mm -hmm. and not really thinking about how you best present the gospel of this community. And so here's a long page. It connected to, to two other pages, right? How to do this. So like for example, Paul says, okay, if you're going to speak in tongues, I speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. So he he doesn't in any way denigrate it. He mm-hmm. says, if you're going to speak in tongues, great. But it has an attendant gift with it. And the reason for that is there for the uplifting of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so when you stand up and proclaim something in one of these ecstatic utterances, then there needs to be someone else in the congregation who stands up and says, I understand this. The mm-hmm. Spirit has just enlightened me. Here's what he or she just said. Mm-hmm. And that interpretation is given. And we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Certainly at the time, Katie, before the Scripture is actually, the New Testament has been completed. Mm-hmm. God was speaking in, in whatever way he chose to speak. Not to say that he doesn't do that today, but certainly then. Yeah. But it wasn't something to be viewed as, oh, my goodness, and Katie Hodges is awesome. Listen, mm-hmm. look at her. She mm-hmm. is she is on a roll here with this gift of tongues. Right. I want to be just like her. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can imitate that. No. He's correcting well, that, most right. likely. That's right. exactly right. What is the word God is speaking through Katie Hodges? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, well, Jane Doe over here heard it and understood it completely and knew immediately, well, I've got the gift of interpretation. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Paul's calling that all kind of into into he, order here. And he's been, I mean, <clears throat> this is, because you talked about 12, 13, and 14, 14 going mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. So that's three chapters out of a 16-chapter letter. Right. That is, I mean, I know we've added chapters later, but. Yeah, even reaches back in some ways, chapter 11. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's you know. So it's a huge chunk of really his is. message to mm-hmm. the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it must have been a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Or he mm-hmm. wouldn't have spent that long that's talking right. about it, right? Yeah. So. And, and just think about how valuable it, this whole thing is to Paul. Um, I mean, under the leadership of the Spirit, my goodness, you know, he spends a year and a half there himself and then writes them a letter, which we don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. They write him a letter, which we don't have. He writes this letter, which we have. Mm-hmm. He writes them another letter, which we don't have. Mm-hmm. He goes to see them. And then he writes them another letter, which we do so have. Quite, Second Corinthians. Quite I mean, a lot of correspondence. <laughs> yes, I mean, a, he's invested. Yeah, it's a strategic place mm-hmm. in the first century. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a port of entry in Ways for all kinds of people, from literally from across the ancient world. Mm-hmm. So what a what a strategic location for a church. It's a, it's a global gateway mm-hmm. kind of community. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, we've talked about you that. Know, just so where it's located, it. absolutely and the culture and yeah. the trade routes and mm-hmm. all that. Sure. So okay, I'm in. You were talking about that there might be small house churches with mm-hmm. maybe an overseer. Mm-hmm. So does, so is there a hierarchy within that? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like practically, mm-hmm. do some mm-hmm. of the leaders of the house mm-hmm. churches? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of speculating. You may yeah. not, history may not know this, yeah. <laughs> but do they come together with the overseer? Yeah. They get encouragement, mm-hmm. and so the, the Corinthian churches, even though they're all separate, might have their own distinct mm-hmm. flavor. Mm-hmm. Versus the in Ephesus, mm-hmm. where the overseer and the leaders might come together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so they would, would have say, a, yes. a network. Yes, I would say that we, you know, we have to keep reading the scripture to get an understanding of of those kinds of developments. But but pretty early on, we we uh, we see. Um, some type of organizational structure mm-hmm. beginning to emerge. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, 
when you have someone like Paul or Peter um, in their mind, their back or John in their background, they're Jewish. And so they grew up going to synagogue mm-hmm. because none of them grew up in Jerusalem. They mm-hmm. grew up outside of Jerusalem. So been to the temple, of course, to worship, um, you know, some depending, right. depending upon the seasons of the year. But their everyday life as children growing up was spent in more of a synagogue um, kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So they had a rabbi, teacher mm-hmm. that would lead them, um, teacher of the law, scribe, whatever, depending on where they were and how large it was. And so in, in their mind, um, that that's the lens through which they will now see the church because they, they understood the need for these local groups of people to worship God, to mm-hmm. study the Word of God together, to pray together and practice their devotion together, those kinds of things. So, And they all had leaders. There was a hierarchy. You had a president of the synagogue, mm-hmm. you know, and you typically had some type of scribe or teacher, again, depending on the size of it. So it just stands to reason that when the churches start getting planted, the very same thing is going to emerge. But the Spirit of God now has been given, and so gifts are given that help to um, illuminate the need for it all, but also to provide the gifting so that the work can be done. Mm -hmm. So teachers, preachers, apostles, evangelists, these were giftings by the Spirit of God. And so evidently in those early expressions of the church, best we can tell, a structure starts emerging. Mm -hmm. So you start hearing words like deacon, which really means servant, but it has a spiritual connotation Mm -hmm. to it. Or you hear the word presbyteros in Greek, mm-hmm. which is the word elder. Paul's going to tell Titus, hey, appoint elders there in these churches mm-hmm. while you're in Crete. Um, you're going to hear the word um, episkopos. Mm-hmm. That's the word overseer in, in English. Um, and you're going to hear the word poimenos. That's the word shepherd mm-hmm. in English. And so what's starting to happen is people are emerging with those particular giftings and they're put in places of leadership in the church. And so Paul will even say sometimes, I'm writing, I'm I'm sharing this with the elders. He calls for the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. So evidently in these house churches, you had leaders, elders, servants, and it might've been that each urban community had maybe one overseer mm-hmm. who was in charge of helping to shepherd and guide all of those house churches. That that certainly happened by the next 50 years or so. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, we get to AD 90, early, early 90s. Uh, Clement was the overseer of the church in Rome. Now, there were house churches all over Rome, but Clement was the acknowledged leader of them. And uh, he actually wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. We have the Corinthian letters from Clement. And uh, so there's no doubt that happened pretty quickly. How how long it took to take in Corinth, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that there was a group already assembled who had were recognized leaders mm-hmm. of the church. And so they've got a responsibility now, you know, to determine how do we help shepherd and guide each one of these house churches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, there was some, um, just like today, there were, I'm sure, some social pressures that <laughs> accompanied mm-hmm. all of it because mm-hmm. – you know, you would be dependent on on the folks who actually hosted these these gatherings in their homes um, to be able to help support the work of the church. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure they were factored in somehow to the conversation. Um, but over time, what's going to happen is these these bishops, as they would be, we would call them today, mm-hmm. these overseers in each one of these larger communities is going to emerge as kind of the leader of that particular community. Mm-hmm. So. It's all kind of in flux by the, when we're reading First Corinthians, but it's already developing. But you're say. seeing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's part of the story unfolding. Okay. One thing that you really emphasized yesterday was the need for, desire for corporate worship. Mm-hmm. And you really emphasized that, mm-hmm. that we need each other. Mm-hmm. It's this unique expression. Mm-hmm. But I could see someone sitting 
or even watching at home because mm-hmm. we're so individualistic mm-hmm. in our society. We've talked aren't about we that though? in here. Aren't we we talk that we talk about it in here every almost every mm-hmm. Monday morning. Mm-hmm. So why do you think corporate worship stands out? Mm-hmm. Is it really that important even mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. What do you gain from it that you couldn't gain mm-hmm. in your own personal devotional? Mm-hmm. I mean, why why are you so hot on corporate worship? <laughs> what does that mean for you? Well, I think first of all, <clears throat> it's just it's historically rooted in what God called His people to. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you when you think about it, um, there there are many examples throughout Scripture where the people of God are just brought together for sacred assemblies. Just to be in the very presence of God and in the in the accountable presence of one another. Um, it's also to me corporate worship is a great reminder um, that you really don't stand alone. You 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 have a personal relationship with God, but there are deep mm. connections across the body of Christ that help encourage, bless, um, and and help each one of us find a a, a more mature path to our faith. Mm. I, I can remember. A few years ago, um, you know, I haven't always been a Dallas Cowboy fan, so okay, uh, that's important a new, distinction. It's a new phenomenon for mm-hmm. me. I grew up in Alabama. We mm-hmm. didn't have a professional sports team. Yeah, and I grew know. up closer to Houston, yeah. so I I could kind of take or leave Cowboys and Rangers. Yeah. Sorry, okay. everybody. Okay, yeah. well, so I, I just didn't grow up with that. Um, so when I moved to Texas the first time to go to seminary, and then um, um, I stayed out here for a while, pastored for a while. Well, I've always had a huge amount of regard for Tom Landry, even okay. though I wasn't though a Dallas Cowboy Cowboys family. Fan. But, you know, but Co- Landry, do. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Sure. I mean, one of the greatest of all time. And so he had retired, and I, I was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I, I played in the the Tom Landry golf tournament. So it's an invitational tournament. I played in it for the last gosh, 30-something years. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> back when he was still alive, the Cowboys were winning, and uh, it was in the 90s, I guess, and uh, we were um, uh, at, a, at a meeting, and Coach Landry was speaking. And somebody asked Coach Landry about uh, Emmett Smith's practice when Emmett would score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You, you're probably too young for this, Katie, but others would remember. He would take his helmet off hmm. in the end zone. I don't remember this. Yeah. I know Emmett Smith, but right. I don't remember this. Well, he'd take his helmet off, and they, they kind of made a big deal of it. Okay. And it was, I, I don't remember what, what all was going on at the time, but nevertheless. So we're in this. Um, banquet and Coach Landry's the speaker, and so they have a little question and answer afterwards. Mm-hmm. Ask him numerous questions. Somebody asked him, "So, what do you think about the this?" Emmett wasn't the only one doing it. Other other running backs were doing it for other teams. Mm-hmm. So they asked Coach Landry, "So, what do you think about um, you know this current practice of Emmett or any other running back when they're getting in the end zone and pulling their helmet off?" Coach Landry said, uh, "Well, I would immediately stop. It would happen one time. Where are the head coach?" He said, "Don't act like you got in the end zone by yourself." Mm-hmm. Why are you pulling your helmet off? Mm-hmm. He said, you, you you have a star on your helmet, and there are 10 other people on the field that have stars on their helmets, and the only reason that your star, your helmet, got in the end zone is because those other 10 people did their job just like you did yours. Mm-hmm. And without them, you would never see an, you'd never see an end zone. <laughs> and, well, I love that yeah. because I think what Coach Landry was saying was we, we have this propensity toward individualism in our culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, back in the day, I, I, I remember <clears> – <throat> um, you look back at uh, like Ty Cobb, I think he was the first person enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but his number was never retired. And the reason for that is he didn't have a number because mm. back then they didn't have numbers. Yeah. They just had players. Huh. You know, so Not that important in baseball, right. it turns just, out. You just were, you were one of the teammates. And so, mm. in other words, you weren't identified as, a, as an individual per yeah. se. So I would say we have to combat that somehow in our culture, I would say. So, but corporate worship to mm-hmm. me 
is vital for a number of reasons. One, I think, is commanded in Scripture, mm-hmm. where the Scripture tells us in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Yeah. Uh, I think, secondly, it gives us an opportunity together as the people of God to be in God's presence and allow Him to speak to us in ways that He doesn't when we're just by ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's a certain spiritual dynamic that only happens when we're together as God's people. Mm-hmm. There's also um, a, a blessing of encouragement that occurs when we're together as the people of God because you're in that moment together that spiritually dynamic moment where we all sense it and experience it at the same time where the truth washes over all of us at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we have this this sense of God's power and God speaking to us. And then we get to celebrate what God has done in that very moment. And, mm-hmm. and if you're not there, that's just not, you just can't do it. You can do it. You can do it by watching perhaps, mm-hmm. but it's just way beyond anything being vicarious. You know, w- w- when you hear that phrase, well, you just had to be there. That's really how it is with mm-hmm. corporate worship. Plus, also, it allows us to reenact the gospel together. You know, whenever we participate in celebrating the Lord's Supper, we are all there together as God's people, and we get to reenact this this story, if you mm-hmm. will, in front of anyone who happens to be present. Mm-hmm. We get to celebrate things like baptism, which are public demonstrations of the work mm-hmm. of Christ in a person's yeah, can't life. Can't do that on your own. Can't right. do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. The church is, is sanctioned to do that. These sacerdotal acts, mm-hmm. the church engages in, and we do them together in community it it's also to me a, a witness a public witness to the community that there's something about us there's something different about us there's also the mission of god that is blessed and encouraged and enhanced and taught and and shepherded when we're together as god's people there's the proclamation of truth that occurs in our presence with the power of god i believe the power of god is in the proclamation of god's truth and so the power of the gospel's on display all of that happens in person and so um, historically, the, the church has recognized the value of that, to be gathered together and experience the presence of God together. And in the New Testament, we find examples where God does things and speaks in certain ways only when they're gathered together. So, for example, he tells the, the – um, Jesus said to his followers after uh, – as he was ascending right before, go to Jerusalem and wait. Well, they go to Jerusalem and wait. Well, they go together and they're worshiping together and they're praying together and all of a sudden the Spirit of God descends upon them mm-hmm. and in fills them and empowers them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one instance in the scripture where they're gathered together and they're praying and the building shakes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. just so much power, so much boldness is given to them because they're together and they can sense it in each other. Then in the book of Acts and Acts 13, they're gathered together worshiping and praying and God descends upon them with his spirit and says, okay, now I want you to take another step. You, you've gathered, you've studied my word, you've grown as disciples there in Antioch, you're doing what I've called you to do. Now I want you to take a step toward the world. Mm-hmm. And so in that time of worship, they sense the spirit of God's leadership saying, give me Saul and Barnabas. Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. whole missionary effort of the church is launched in a corporate worship a corporate, setting. Mm-hmm. So there's just so much that happens in that corporate setting that just can't happen when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it also reminds you when you're in that um, in that experience with the people of God that you're really not the center of the universe. God is at work all over. God's mm-hmm. at work in so many other people's lives in so many other ways, and it encourages you, it blesses you, it spurs you on toward maturity, it helps inspire you to think creatively about how God might use you. I mean, it's it's just, um, it's a powerful thing, and in my opinion, it exists nowhere else in our society. It doesn't have, you know, there are other groups that gather purposefully, but mm-hmm. they don't gather for the purpose of the mission of God mm-hmm. and to live out the sacerdotal responsibilities mm-hmm. of the church. We're the only ones that do that. Mm-hmm. And so we need it. We so need there you it. go. <laughs> so you're invited. How's that? Absolutely. Yeah. And we have a place for you. And we have a place for you. Absolutely. Kind of our October tagline. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think it's important and it's valuable to mm-hmm. I just think through. I think, okay, 
with the last oh, 10 minutes or so okay. we can go over, but <clears throat> you mentioned it yesterday and chapter 14 mentions it. Mm-hmm. What is up with women in Corinth? Oh my goodness. Lord help me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll read a little bit of this, but then you reference back to chapter 11. Absolutely. But even in the middle of this conversation mm-hmm. on tongues, mm-hmm. Paul says, um, verse 34 and mm-hmm. 14, women should remain silent in the churches. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to speak, must mm-hmm. be in submission. As the law says, you can talk about that. Mm-hmm. If you want to know something, ask your husband at home, right. basically. What if you're not married? Right. You tell me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and what does it matter? And then, you know, if you go back to verse or chapter 11, mm-hmm. Paul speaks highly of women mm-hmm. in the sense that he said every woman who prays or prophesies mm-hmm. should cover her head, mm-hmm. implying that do it, mm-hmm. pray, prophesy, just do it in an orderly fashion mm-hmm. in the right way. Right. But right before that, he mm-hmm. says, well, I'm going to lose it. Where is it? Mm-hmm. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, mm-hmm. the head of the woman is the man, mm-hmm. and the head of Christ is God. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do with all of that? Mm-hmm. And we can talk about Jesus's high view of women, mm-hmm. and we know that there's a different society. How do we? How in the world do we take this? And that's part of our Corinthian challenge, mm-hmm. right? This right. these few months. That's right. Is how do you take what's written here, sift through what's relevant for today, look mm-hmm. at the culture there. So I've asked like six questions in one, but. What's Paul thinking about women in Corinth? And is it localized to Corinth? And how do we apply it today? I mean, obviously, I'm and I'm not biased. I want to know your honest opinion. But mm-hmm. you have hired me to be uh, on your pastoral staff. Mm-hmm. I'm ordained. I went to seminary. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. preach in the pulpit. We all know this. So what do you do with all that? Mm-hmm. How does that land? Right. Well, I think the, the, good, <coughs> the good news is, um, is that the, the Spirit of God was at work in Corinth. And it was in a, a certain context. And just like it was everywhere, I mean, the, the the power of God everywhere was at work. And so when the Spirit is there, He is He's bringing about transformation and change. That's just what the Spirit of God does. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we, we have to ask the question, how how was God going to do that in Corinth? And let's start with Corinth first. Okay. How, how's God going to bring this about in Corinth? Mm-hmm. This is this pagan society, strategic city, very cosmopolitan in its makeup, and it, and it was seen as a city of opportunity because Corinth was resettled as a Roman colony. And and so there was the hope that it could be like a little Rome, if you will, kind mm-hmm. of out on the, the um, eastern front. Um, however, uh, there was also a, an opportunity in Rome for you to rise above your rank, which was mm. really hard to do in Rome. Mm. There was an opportunity in Corinth. Did I say that right? In Corinth, not yeah. Rome. In Rome, was hard to, to grow do. socially. I mean, correct. You could mm. you could change status actually mm. in Corinth. It was really hard to do in a place like Rome. So this place attracted all kinds of people. So now the church is birthed there, and the Spirit of God is at work, and the Spirit of God is is healing, and He is um, reordering things, which is what He does, um, removing barriers, which is what He does um, when when He's at work in the life of people. So how far does that go and how quickly does it go? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where we are. Good question. So you have in the church at Rome, I mean in Corinth rather, mm-hmm. you have a, a very unusual experience for the first century because you have men and women together actively worshiping. Mm-hmm. Which is rare. Rare. Husbands and wives are together worshiping. Slaves and masters mm-hmm. are together in worship. Un- uncomfortable for many, Correct. surely. Yeah. Wealthy and the poor mm-hmm. are together. We already know there's those with status, those without status mm-hmm. that are there. Which is a Corinth. unique cross-section. Where else are you going to find that, right? You just could not find that anywhere else in first century society. Okay. It just didn't exist. So first of all, you're already fraught a little bit 
with some challenges. Jews and Gentiles mm-hmm. are in the room together. And uh, so there's prejudice, there's racism, there are gender um, gender separation that exists in the broader culture, um, educational separation, social separation, all of that exists in the culture. And so now you you come into the church and it is a brand new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions probably was, how much cultural considerations do we have to keep mm-hmm. in order for this to be viable? Mm-hmm. How much do we have to maintain mm-hmm. in order for us to keep a public and prominent witness in the mm-hmm. community? These are questions we ask in our cross-cultural work today. Right. Absolutely. I mean, what stays, what goes. That's correct. Yeah. You know, what you have to think about. Mm-hmm. So great case in point. Evidently, Paul was asked about this. So it's not necessarily something where he was picking a fight. Mm-hmm. He's being asked, well, what about what about this? When we gather for worship, I've noticed that that the women at our house church, um, I mean, I'm just saying hypothetically, right. um, they're they're removing their head coverings when they come in the church, mm-hmm. and and they want to get up and talk and speak and all that. And when we all know that one of the signs of modesty in our society is a woman keeping her head covered. Mm-hmm. Um, today we might say it, it might be a little different, but if I can be crass, sure. we yep. might say is properly covered. Where's a shirt or yep. a dress? You yep. know, do they have to? Well, I don't, I don't know. Don't you have to? Yep. I mean, could you could you say it's my right to mm-hmm. take my shirt off in public? Well, I, I mean, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's a. There's a certain social consideration, cultural convention, call it what you wish, that just was was prevalent in the first century. And it was a a gender-divided society. And so in the first century, families were honored by the actions of a husband. Mm -hmm. That was his responsibility, whether it be his um, chosen profession or his trade or his standing in the community, how he carried himself, how he engaged in business, all those kinds of things brought honor to the family. His wife didn't really bring honor to the family. Mm. She just did her work. Yeah. She kept the household right. organized, Correct. et cetera. Rear the children, yep. do the things you're supposed the pro- to do. The Proverbs 31 will. Right. But yeah. that didn't really bring honor to the family, not in the first year. That was the husband's job. Mm-hmm. But a woman could bring dishonor to the family. Mm. Okay. So she could throw off whatever the cultural consideration might mm-hmm. be, cultural convention. And she could dishonor her husband. Well, that was it was it's an honor shame culture also, which is very different than our culture. Mm-hmm. We're we're not honor shame people, mm-hmm. but the East is more modern, moder, more honor shame. Mm-hmm. Certainly was in the in the Corinthian society. Mm-hmm. So you've got a gender separated honor shame culture. Okay, and you're it. planting a church in it. Mm-hmm. Well, how much do you throw off? You yep. just say, well, look, is it my right? The you know when Paul will tell the Galatians, there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Mm-hmm. True. There's neither slave nor free. Mm-hmm. He says that. Yep. But in actuality, in the culture, there still was they Jew and Gentile, <laughs> male and female, slave, slave and free. And free. Yep, okay. That makes sense. So you so you come to to church. So what about the slave? Does the slave come to church and and tells the master, "Hey, I tell you what, you and I just walk through the door. We're now equals. You go sit over there, and I'm gonna sit over here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna speak to you during the worship service or when we I'm not going to do anything until we get outside. Hmm. Well, would it have been the slave's right to do that through the proclamation of the gospel and the freedom that the Spirit gives? Yes, mm-hmm. probably. But how was that going to be viewed in society at the time? I'm not defending slavery. Hear me carefully. Yes, I did not hear that. <laughs> I'm but talking for about those just listening, a cultural yeah. situation here. Right. How do you do that How do you in a walk church? into that? That's right. How do you come in the church as a wife? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what Paul seemed to be saying was, okay— 
Can a woman speak in a worship service in the church? Yes. With men present? Yes, mm-hmm. she can. However, which would have been probably hard for some of those absolutely. men. Very, very difficult, mm-hmm. particularly Jewish men. Yep. Particularly to the Jewish a, Christians. A, and it's not just yes. speaking, not just reading a poem, you're Correct. prophesying. You're sharing yeah. a word from God. A spiritual gift. From okay. God. okay. And praying on behalf of the entire church. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So Paul says, can you do that? Yes. Can There was even the idea, Katie, in that first century, there was so much gender separation. Sometimes they chose not to even send the girls to any kind of schooling. Mm-hmm. All they did was just learn the trade of being a homemaker and mm-hmm. wife. Mm-hmm. So even even when you get to the point where Paul says if a woman has a question, go home and ask her husband so she can be further taught, even that was a foreign idea to most mm-hmm. people in the first century. Well, why would you spend any time teaching a woman mm-hmm. anything? Mm-hmm. You know, I know it sounds crazy to us. No, but, but yeah. those kinds of conversations happened. Yeah. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, look, when you come together for worship, don't throw off every cultural convention. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Don't just act like these things don't exist. Because when Corinthians come to this worship service and they see this, that's going to be so loud in their ears. Mm-hmm. They'll never hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. They're going to go home. Their husbands are going to go home and say, well, I'm going to tell you what, this right here will never... You will not be a part of this. Yeah. I will not be a part of this. And you're in a patriarchal society still. Yes. The husband has a lot of power and weight and authority. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Paul says, why do that? Just keep your head covered. Yeah. You know? And then if you're in a, a setting, chapter 14, you know, the, again, Greek can be a little bit challenging for us. Mm-hmm. Chapter 14, women is the Greek word gune. Mm-hmm. It, it can mean women. It can be wives. It, it, it just always depends upon the context. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth of that. You know, so you've got to make that decision. To me, the common sense reading of 1 Corinthians 14 uh-huh. is Paul saying, wives, if you have some kind of question that, in my opinion, what I think Paul is saying is that may challenge your husband here in public in the worship service. Don't do that. Just be silent in the church. Don't do it. Just honor him. Honor him. Hell. Do that at home. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't say you can't prophesy. Paul already told you in chapter 11 you can yeah. prophesy. Yeah. It appears now. Some, there are different trans, different interpretations of women be silent in the church. Let me give them to you. The first one is women be silent in the church. Right. Just complementarian, straight up. Women have a role to play, and it ain't leadership in the church. Got it. They should keep We've their mouths shut. Yes. And I, I don't mean that so pejoratively. They're good, godly people that believe. But that's that. their interpretation. That's right. It's very that, literal. That's right. Very strict interpretation. Yeah. Second interpretation interpretation is some women should be silent, even though that word's not, some, it's not there. Yeah. But the idea is there must have been some unruly women there. Maybe they came from one of the goddess cults, mm-hmm. you know, and they were used They've to running everything. Kinda, and now yeah. they're in the church and they're like, hey, everybody's free here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we think that was probably true in Ephesus. I don't know that it's particularly here in Corinth. Mm, okay. Third tr- interpretation is, well, just, just use some common sense and translate this. Wives, you know, if you're in a sitting in the church and wives, it's okay. Be silent in the church. Mm-hmm. Take this up with your husband. Don't embarrass your husband in public. Don't challenge your husband. Don't come to a different interpretation. Because when people were given prophecy, Katie, there's no doubt I think Paul would have expected there to be some questions. Is this from God? Are you sure you received this from God? Well, what if a husband gets up and prophesies and the wife says, wait a minute, y'all, I live with him. I mean, mm-hmm. seriously, after last night, you expect me to hear a word from God? Now, I'm being a little facetious. But, but the point yeah, is that would have been very, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. embarrassing. And mm-hmm. not only that, if if a wife questioned another woman's husband, where there might have been mm-hmm. some social considerations. Yeah. So Paul is just saying, look, there are cultural conventions here, y'all. Let's give that some thought when you gather for worship. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, women, keep your mouth shut, stay to your task, go home and wash the dishes. 
Go home and have a spiritual conversation with your husband and see if y'all can work this out and you mm. can learn this truth, maybe in a setting that's not not so um, so volatile, if mm-hmm. you will. That's how I read this text. Mm. I think that's the common sense way to read it. And I think that's consistent with the rest of the New Testament, in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> so, so. Um, so so that's how I would take that. Okay. So what, what do you do with this statement in 11 that says... Yeah, about order. Yeah. Kind of, I want yeah. you to know. Yeah, kephale is the Greek word. You know, when you talk about head, there, there are different words in Greek for head. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's not the word for boss, authority, lord. This one is like okay? the literal word for head. Right. Right? Right. And so instead of, you you can, you could, I mean, and think about Paul. Paul's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So Paul doesn't write accidentally, writes intentionally. Right. He could have said that the husband is the head of the wife, and he could have used a particular word in Greek that means he is the ultimate boss, authority, boss, bow down. Okay. That's not the word that's used here. Okay. This word has an idea of order and source to it. And so what I would say is Paul is making the argument, again, God has put order in our world. What was the order of creation? Well, he created Adam first. Then he created the woman. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean the woman is now inferior to the man. It just means there was an order of what took place. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to say, well, where did the woman come from? Well, she did come from man. So in this culturally conditioned society, again, I think Paul is making the argument that we're not throwing off all cultural conventions. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the the, the woman's now, her, her place is exactly the same as a husband's place. Mm-hmm. This this is all in flux in the mm-hmm. first century. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I don't even know what I am anymore. Some people ask me, are you complementarian? Are you a soft complementarian? Are you egalitarian? Mm-hmm. I have trouble with that because I'm, I'm, I have um, inclinations that leave me kind of in this middle. Mm-hmm. You know? Once again, Dennis so Wiles is <laughs> in the moderate middle. That's right. There's no word for me, really. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Maybe there is. but uh, <laughs> some, um, some have found one, I'm yeah. sure. But I think – I don't believe that Paul is saying – that um, that the the woman is subservient to the man in that sense. That's not the point, I don't believe. I think what he's saying is it's an argument about source mm. and honoring something that's there in the culture. The thing that's a little puzzling um, in, in one of the places in Horesis, as the law says, the problem is we don't have anywhere in the Old Testament where that's particularly mm. spelled it's out. It's pointing to the law. So I think it's more of a general understanding of the order of creation mm-hmm. is kind of how I would read it. And and I don't believe that it that it carries the connotation of 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 um, servanthood or mm. being subservient to or what we've probably interpreted nowadays mm-hmm. as head, mm-hmm. headship. Correct. I would say, but I would say this, you know, when it says the head of the woman is the man, well, the source of the woman is the man. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the woman came from the man. Mm-hmm. That's and how so, you take that, right? And I would also say that if you another piece to this, that again we have trouble with today. Because we're so individualistic, there's a there's a communal aspect to our faith, and the way you choose to engage yourself as a Christian has implications for those who are part of your sphere, mm-hmm. those who are, who are deeply connected to you. And so, a, a wife's behavior wasn't just a wife's behavior; it was a reflection on her husband. Mm-hmm. And per, as Christians in particular, the same was true. It worked both ways. And so, I think I think one of the things Paul's also saying is. You are. Um, you've got to remind, be reminded of how connected you all are in Christ, and so you're not just living your life willy nilly. Do whatever you want to do. Throw it all off. My husband doesn't matter what my husband thinks. This has no effect on him. Well, actually, it does. You know, because he's the source of your existence, really. You know, in some ways. So, to me, it's not necessarily hierarchical. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more communal and uh, and relational, if you will. Okay, there you have it. So that's well, good. Well, I think <laughs> I've got more. 
we could talk about women and Jesus, and we could go a lot of places. But I think right. for the listener, right. we've we've hit a time limit yeah. that I think we yeah. respect there. Yeah. And I would <laughs> just say that this is rides. the thing I would say in general. Yeah. If if you're familiar with the first century, here's what you would have to accept as fact: hmm. Jesus elevated women in his life and ministry, and in the way he carried himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, the very fact that he allowed any women to travel with him at all, and women to finance his ministry, women to be witnesses the very first witnesses of the resurrection, Mm -hmm. okay? That's an elevation of women, unmistakably. Paul elevates women, Mm -hmm. even though people have a hard time with that. But if you know the first century, the fact that Paul even gives any instructions to women, gives them an opportunity to play any role, Mm -hmm. gives them— The fact that they're mentioned. The fact that, absolutely, that he even explains how women are going to give leadership in the church Mm -hmm. is an elevation of women. It's not prohibiting in any way— not in the first century context. We see it that way in the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. But but you have if you're if you're honest and you really look at the the context and when all this was written, Paul and Jesus both elevated the status of women, mm-hmm. and and I believe that uh, that we need to to give them both credit for what they've done. Mm-hmm. So good word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anything else for your church to mm-hmm. hear? It's all good. Today? All is good. Well, we've got, if there's anything left in you, we do this again every week. That's so right. we'll see you. Okay. Well, thank y'all for listening and we'll be here next week. Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.